People of God, let's pray together. God, we, um, we sing along uh, in our hearts, maybe with our mouths, in our minds, the reality that uh, you are an amazing God. One who's placed the stars in the sky, who knows the depths of the sea, one who is indescribable, uncontainable. Uh, you are that good God, that amazing God, and for that we are grateful. And because of that, we come, and we come with our deepest needs and our deepest hurts. Again, in these days, God, we would ask as one who has placed the stars, who knows the depths of the ocean, that indeed in the midst of these days of virus, that uh, our hearts cry out for those who have been afflicted, those even in our body who um, have been uh, come down with this virus. We pray for their healing. We pray for your strength. God, for many around uh, the nation and around the world who've lost loved ones in the midst of this, we pray for comfort. Uh, maybe people in earshot of even this prayer today, God, uh, grieving now over loss of a loved one, a friend or a colleague. And so, God, we pray that you surround them with your peace. God, we pray for those in the front lines, um, those in hospitals, uh, those in nursing homes, those uh, who are first responders. God, uh, many who are in essential jobs uh, right now in the face of this virus, we pray for your protection and for your care, for your nurture of them, for strength for them in these grueling days. Maybe most of all, God, we ask that this virus would leave. <laughs> uh, not just so that we could worship together, but indeed just so the sake of your people that this, this virus would lift. And indeed, uh, in the next coming days and the next coming weeks, we will see your hand at work to do it. But God, in the midst of it, we pray that you teach us. Uh, there's, there's much to learn in these days. And so, God, we pray that you give us humble hearts, open minds, and eyes that see you for who you are as an amazing God. Now, even today, as we open your word, will you help us in our understanding of you and your greatness in the midst of the uncertainty of our lives. Oh, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin today with a question, uh, and actually, it's a question that I want you to consider in your living rooms today, right? So if you're with family, with other people in your living room, you might take uh, 30 seconds to, uh, to think about it, to talk about it. Uh, if you're by yourself, it might be just writing down some answers to this question. You ready? The question is, who is God? Who is God? Go ahead, talk about it. Do, 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 Okay, so you you've had a minute to deliberate over the reality of that question. Who is God? It's one of those questions, is it not? That at one level seems very simple, and yet many of us have experienced that the more we learn about who God is, it feels like the less we know about who God is. It's simplicity, in its simplicity, the answer often finds words like, He is my Lord, He is 
my God, He is my Savior, He is my hope, He is my life, He is the creator of all things, He is the ruler of all things, uh, He is the one who sustains me, He is the one who, who has sacrificed for me. The, those realities are true and they're simple and they're glorious. And, and, and it's those beautiful things that are illustrated beautifully in spring. Uh, that God is the one that makes beautiful things happen, right? So today I have with me a, a tulip bulb, right? It's a, a tulip bulb, and if you can see that tulip bulb, it's a dirty old tulip bulb just yanked from the ground, right? And so here's a, a dirty old tulip bulb, but we know what happens, don't we, when we plant this tulip bulb in the ground and give it the proper nutrients and the proper fertilizer and the proper water and it gets the proper sunlight, uh, something happens, right? We, we, we know by experience, those of you with green thumbs, that we plant this in the ground and it grows into a beautiful tulip. And at the very simplest level, that's what we know to be true. Some of us know things a little more deeper, like we, we know what nutrients to put into the ground and, and where to plant them so that they get the proper sunlight and, and we water them just the right amount. And so there's practical ways that we know that this will grow better by virtue of doing it. And so the, the whole tulip bulb becoming a flower becomes a bit more complex. And, and it gets more complex yet in the reality that there are people who make the fertilizer, right, that, that uh, understand exactly what kind of nutrients this bulb needs uh, in order for the life within the bulb to sprout forth and bloom a beautiful tulip. But I'd like to suggest to you that there's a, a deeper still, even deeper than the smartest dude scientist that makes the fertilizer. You, you know what it is, right? It's an amazing God who makes things beautiful. Uh, because the reality is, is without even with the right fertilizer, even without the, uh, or even with the right light and the right water and the right everything, that the, the miracle of this tulip bulb is held in the very beautiful hands of God. So who is God? He is the one that makes beautiful things happen. But I have a question for you. The complexity of God comes when life happens, when stuff happens, right? Or maybe even as we live in these days, the coronavirus happens. When uncertainty comes and all of a sudden there are questions about who God is that really seem complex. Like, does God have anything to do with suffering? Does God have anything to do with the coronavirus? Why would he allow suffering? And does he just allow it, or does he actually cause suffering? Wow. Now, the question of who God is has become much more complex. So what if the, the bulb, uh, the tulip bulb, is suffering placed in our life? Suffering placed in our hearts. What if the tulip bulb is the coronavirus? We, we know that at one level we see it and we know it to be true. We hear the repeated uh, uh, news stories and the growing maps with the red bubbles and all the things that are happening. And deeper still, we know uh, that this coronavirus is, uh, uh, in its vaguest terms, there's something unique about this day in which we live, in which this uh, very contagious virus is kind of rushing around us. Deeper still it is the crazy work that many scientists are working at now in labs around the world to try to discover a way in which we can heal that virus. But deeper still, 
is this force behind it all? The question of the place of God in it all. Is the bulb of suffering, the bulb of uncertainty, the bulb of the coronavirus, is it in the hand of God? Is it in the control of this beautiful God? Is it possible that our beautiful God is involved in the seemingly ugly? Hmm. It adds a, a whole new dimension to the question of who is God, right? To be honest, when God is doing what we want him to do, he seems simple. He just does good things. But when life somehow gets complicated, we begin to ask more complex questions, and sometimes the more confusing that God can become. In fact, I have found that the best questions that I have been asked about God come from people who don't believe in God. It's usually because life has handed them some struggle that has stepped outside of a typical Christian answer for who God is. Right? You get that? God hasn't been for them what Christians in their lives had told them that God is, that he just makes beautiful things. So when seemingly ugly things come into life, they begin to question and even doubt God. So it brings us back to our question. Who is God? Well, this is what we want to turn to in the next weeks to come. We will just dip our toe in the water this morning. Uh, next week, Jeff Newell will be preaching as he prepares to transition away from Covenant Church. Make us all sad. And then in the five Sundays in May, we will jump into this question of who God is in greater depth. And in case this all sounds way too academic, uh, first know this, I'm not academic. I'm really not that smart. So as we dump into it, jump into it, I'm going to come from a place that is very, very practical. I want to assure you that I, I, I want to address it even from the practical needs of the coronavirus. But only because it is in these days that we search for something certain in uncertainty. I want to be practical because I believe that today we all, at some level, search for something that is certain in uncertainty. And that's the title of the series, uh, The One Thing Certain in Uncertainty. I'm going to share uh, five thoughts in the five Sundays in May as to what the Bible says about God in times of uncertainty. And it's my prayer, listen, that it helps us understand more fully five different attributes of God, a big word for just saying five different ways that we might discover who God is. I will tell you now that my two main resources that help me navigate the waters of the uh, scriptures in these thoughts is a book that just came out by John Piper called Coronavirus in Christ. Um, and an, uh, an old faithful book called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. 
Both are worth buying and reading during this time in which we study, and actually both can be found online. You can download them even for free if you search hard enough, uh, if you really want to. But the, the most important thing here is the scriptures, right? Those two books help us to get to the scriptures. And the scripture that I want us to cement our head in through this time, actually a scripture that I would love for us to memorize together, is our text this morning, and it's Romans eleven thirty three. Uh, Romans chapter 11, 33. So uh, turn there, grab your Bibles uh, or your devices, whatever it is that you use to follow along in God's word as we kind of do it. It's very simple. It's, it's one verse uh, this morning. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. As we approach that, I, I want you to turn uh, with me just in your mind uh, through the pages of Romans to this point. It's very uh, important that we understand the context uh, of what's happening in Romans eleven thirty-three, And so a very quick journey to our text, which is an amazing place of worship that comes as a result of the first part of this letter to the church in Rome written by the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, as he writes, uh, wants to make known who God is. In fact, the, the name God is the most often used word in the book of Romans, right? He wants us to know who God is. And in chapters 1 through 3, Paul tells us that he is a God that cannot stand sin. <laughs> the things in our lives that hide or suppress the truth, the things in our lives that exalt things that are not right, our idols in life, which become our sin. And yet he tells us in Romans 1 through 3, this is where we're all at, right? God, God hates sin, but this is where we are at, that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there is not one of us who is righteous, that is right in the eyes of God. That's chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 7, though, has a huge but in it. But, but God has provided a way for us in spite of our sin. So 1 through 3 tells us that God hates sin and places us in sin. But in 4 through 7, he says, but God has provided a way for us in spite of our sin. That though we have fallen short, that God has sent Jesus uh, to fill the gap between our sinful selves and a God who is absolutely holy. It is a plan, listen, it's a plan that he's had all along. Not one that he's made up when he found out that Stoffer screwed up and so he had to send Jesus to pay for his sins. It, 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 it's been his plan all along and it's been glorious that, that all that we have lost through our sin nature is given to us by Jesus. Simply stated, God has provided life to us when we were dead in sin. And then chapters 8 through 11, so hear it, God hates sin, but that's where we're at. But God has provided a way for us to rescue us from sin in Jesus and his death, his resurrection. And then chapters 8 through 11, God then wants to make much of us, his children, in this new life. This new life that he has given us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. Uh, he tells us that we're made in this new life heirs with Christ. That we have an inheritance of a future glory, that we're receptors of an everlasting love, that we are more than conquerors through Christ in us. And again, makes the point that this has not happened by accident, but it has been the plan of God from the very beginning. So hear this, Paul is laying out the gospel. If you've not heard that gospel before, I, I pray, man, that you just pause it now and, and ask Jesus to, to make your sins right, right? To recognize that you're a sinner, that Jesus has come to pay for that sin, and that God has indeed through that made you heirs with Christ, a more than a conqueror in reality. That's, that's these deep theological 
amazing words of Paul in chapters 1 through 11. And then listen, the first 11 chapters of Romans uh, may be this best and most complete, and at the same time some of the most complex thoughts about God in all of the Bible, given to us by one of the best minds in all of Christendom, the Apostle Paul. And I cannot imagine how full, how full Paul's heart is as he pens these words. But now look with me at our text, the end of chapter 11, and actually we'll read today chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Paul has said all of this, right? In depth, even in its complexity, in its confoundment, even the reality of this great gospel. And he comes to verse 33 and he says, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are most things. <laughs> it says are what? All things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What do we hear about God? How, do we, how does Paul answer the question, who is God, after these amazing 11 chapters? How does he say in 1133, who is God? First point today is this. God is incomprehensible. Big word to say, and there is no way to comprehend, to know in his entirety who God is. Paul gets to the end of this amazing exposition of 11 chapters and almost as if he puts his pen down, he, he realizes that even his best, listen, even his best exposition does not come close, not even a finger scratch, right, to the fullness of who God is. He, he says, after all of this, he says, his judgments are unsearchable. Paul says, the more we understand, the more I get it, the more that I've written this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the more I see it and know it, the more I understand the gospel, I realize how little I still actually know. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. Uh, a translation I like better is untraceable. We, we cannot tell with the authority of God, where, where God has come from or where he is going. Uh, we can't tell uh, about God where he has begun or where he's going to end. His ways are untraceable. I've been a lot of beautiful places in my life. We have seen many amazing landscapes. One of the most beautiful that I think Deneen and I have ever experienced is the 12 apostles off the southern coast of Australia. If you've seen them, they're absolutely gorgeous. Maybe you see pictures, maybe today you go and take a look. They, they are these 12 rock formations that jet out of a foaming sea that falls against deep uh, and steep cliffs along the southern coast of Australia. And they go for miles and miles and miles and you stop numerous times to, to take them in. 
And for a simple mind like mine, I simply want to look at the 12 apostles as we had an opportunity to do and worship God. Worship God because those 12 apostles seem unsearchable and untraceable. They're so big and so beautiful. But guess what? Even the 12 apostles, even the Grand Canyon, even the Niagara Falls, whatever it is that you've seen and marveled at, it is finite. Listen, I, I, it would take a lot, but you can trace over all of history to understand how those 12 apostles got to be where they are, why the currents of the ocean had cut away the rocks in the way they did it. There, there is a way to know that. And, and, and those 12 apostles are searchable. You can, because they are finite, look at every square inch. Now, when I look at them, I'm thinking, that's overwhelming. But I want you to understand that even that, even the 12 apostles is finite. And Paul here says, God is not that way. The 12 apostles in all their glory can be searched, they can be traced, but God, He is unsearchable. He is untraceable. And that's what adds to the marvel of what Paul says here about God. Listen, even the people of the Bible who have been given the privilege of beholding the glory of God, like Ezekiel in his visions, or, or John as he's shown uh, the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation, they have to use language like, it appeared, it was in the likeness of, it was like. Why? Because what they were beholding in the glory of God was beyond human language. It was beyond understanding. It was incomprehensible. And the only thing they could do is try to describe it in terms of things they knew, in terms of the finite. And it was incomplete. It had to be their greatest frustration. There was nothing that could be said that could come close to the glory of God. Why? Because what they are seeing is like nothing they've ever seen before. And the best that they could do is try to explain it in terms of something that they know. God, listen, God, Paul says here in verse 33, is incomprehensible. Secondly, see that God is eternal. He's eternal. His incomprehensibility, big word, comes as a result of his eternal nature. Warning, this is a mind blower. Ready? God has no beginning, and God has no end. If you think about that long enough, you'll, you'll smell the brain cells beginning to smoke, right? That's just hard to conceive of. But that's the point. Because God is bigger and greater than our finite minds. Uh, C.S. Lewis helps us with an illustration, though, of the eternity of God. So let me uh, do something here. I brought my uh, whiteboard uh, for us to behold. And, and what I want us to do, this is C.S. Lewis's illustration that he, he uses uh, uh, just uh, reams of paper that, that just go forever and ever and ever. So uh, imagine that this whiteboard has no end, or has no beginning, right? So the reality is, is the whiteboard goes way beyond this, and the whiteboard goes way beyond this, but this entire whiteboard is the reality of the nature of God, that He is eternal, right? This is God, right? And in the midst of the eternal nature of God, there is this line, 
You know what that line is? History. It's like, like this is Genesis, and this is Revelation. <laughs> and all of human history is in this line. In the midst of the eternal nature of God that has no beginning and has no end. All of history is but a line in the midst of it. And you know what's in that line? There's this tiny, 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 tiny little speck right here. Right here. Like, we can blow it up right here, right? And here's the speck. And you know what that speck is? That's your life. In the midst of this continuum of all of history, your life is this tiny, imperceivable speck in the reality of this very long line of all of history, but is, is, is minimizing the reality of the eternal nature of God. And you know what's in that life? The tiny, tiny little speck called the coronavirus. So listen, in this, the eternal nature of God is all of history with a tiny little speck that is you, and a tiny little speck within you is the coronavirus. God is eternal. And in his eternal nature, the things that we often are so anxious about and so concerned about, people of God, that seem so significant to us, are so encapsulated in the hands of God. In his eternal nature, History is but a vapor. You are but a vapor of that vapor. And these days of uncertainty are but a small vapor of the vapor that's a vapor of the eternal nature of God. Moses says it well. In a time of inspiration, he writes and he sings this. God is from everlasting to everlasting. I wonder after he sang that, he thought, like, what does that mean? <laughs> Or, or was he blown away at the eternal nature of who God is, of his immensity, that he cannot be comprehended and comforted that this God of everlasting has everything in his hands? Do you begin to see the benefit? Do you begin to see the blessing to knowing who God is? Wow. Do you see why Paul starts verse 33 with worship and not hopelessness? He doesn't come to this point after 11 chapters in his thinking and says, man, I've got God all figured out. You guys, no, no, no worries. No, he doesn't do that. But rather to a place of exhaustion and writing that he knows only to realize that, that, that God is bigger and greater than anything he will ever know. And then, hear this, he worships. He's not frightened by it. He's not even confused about it. He marvels at it. That God in his eternal nature has him. God in his incomprehensible nature is sufficient for him. And that's our last point for this morning, is to simply look at Paul's worship. He says... In verse 33, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, is the place of worship. It's not 
Oh, no, it's not that. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's a place of humility. It's, it's a place of humbleness. It's a place of worship. Oh, oh, God, I, I've, I've explained the gospel in 11 chapters, but it, but it is so small and so insignificant to the reality of what it really is. All the riches of who you are. Paul doesn't say, oh, rats, I'll, I'll probably never understand God. No, that's not where he ends. It is a place of praise. Praise to God that he is unknowable. This is something that I often miss in times of uncertainty. Listen, my, my go-to often uncertainty is not worship. <laughs> My go-to in suffering is often not worship. My go-to in uncertainty, my go-to in suffering is often selfish questions, maybe doubt, maybe fear, certainly at times anxiousness. Something that I've noticed in the days of coronavirus, uh, people are either blaming God for the virus or they're trying to protect God in the virus. You ever notice that? They're either blaming God for the virus or trying to protect God in the virus. Many who have some beef with God, who may want to question God, see the virus and ask, why is God doing all this? You face that question? Well, then there are the other people, uh, others who, uh, uh, who mean well, um, they're well-meaning people, but they wax eloquently with really bad theology that want to protect God. Listen, who, who want to stand in front of God in defense of their God and say things like, well, God didn't do this. Maybe he allowed it. Maybe this. And, and we begin to make excuses for God with regard to uncertainty and suffering in our lives. Uh, can I just tell you? God doesn't need your protection. He doesn't need your defense. God, his eternal nature and his incomprehensible nature has this. Sometimes we treat God with way too much convenience. We want to say God does all the good things, but somehow ceases to be in control when there is bad things. Uh, A.W. Tozer says it this way. It's a long quote. Hang with me. Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And what he is like is, of course, a composite of all the religious pictures we have seen, all the best people we have known or heard about, and all the sublime ideas that we have entertained. <laughs> what, what Tozer is saying is oftentimes, especially in times of uncertainty, we tend to want to make God in our image rather than to be a people made in the image of God. That's not a place where Paul is in Romans 11.33. In the midst of suffering, which Paul 
understood well. In the midst of wanting to provide maybe some defense of God to a church that was doubting God, and maybe even in some place of sin of pride and knowing so much, Paul comes to the end of himself, not in hopelessness in the incomprehensibility and the eternality of God, not in hopelessness, but in worship. He says, I will never know the ways of God, but that is good. And that is the very nature that I now praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. As if to say, it is not what I make of God that I trust. But it is his incomprehensible and eternal nature that I trust. And even more, it is in this that I worship. People of God, two things to walk away with today from this glorious word. Two things to walk away with this morning. First is this. Find certainty in uncertainty. It's the title of the series. The one who is certain in uncertainty, it is God. There is so much uncertainty in life. Uh, the coronavirus has an earth all kinds of fears and anxieties and worries in us. As I preach this, there is some uncertainty even in my own daughter's health unrelated to the virus. Uh, you sitting in your living room have uh, financial fears, have relational fears, have health fears, have all kinds of uncertainty. We live in a broken world that often leaves us asking, who is God? But can I suggest this morning that in the fact that God is so big that we can't comprehend him or trace his ways is a certainty in our uncertainty. A rock, as the psalmist says, in our shifting sand. A refuge in the midst of our storm and a fortress in the midst of our war. And a reason to worship. To say today, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. To him be glory forever. The first thing to walk away with this morning is to find certainty today in uncertainty. But secondly, also know that this, this might leave you hungry for more of God. You said, why in the world would I be hungry for more of God when it's impossible to know God? Oh, but there's so much more to know. <laughs> and so I want that reality to bring a greater hunger and a greater thirst for who God is. Paul is not giving up on understanding God in this text. He's not coming to the end of 11 going, ah, oh, forget it. I know everything. I, 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 I really don't know anything about God, right? He's not coming to that point. His lack of understanding makes him hungry to know God more, even though he knows he will never understand him completely. I sometimes amaze couples preparing to be married when I do premarital conversations with them prior to their wedding. Sometimes amaze them when I tell them that, uh, that I've known the woman who is now my wife for almost 40 years. We've been married 32 years. We dated six years. Uh, so 38, almost 40 years I've known Deneen. And, and sometimes I amaze them by telling them, I think I know her less now than I did when I met her. You know that truth? I mean, she's amazing. And she's beautiful. And she's incredible to get to know. And listen, 
I love the adventure of getting to know who she is. Even though there are days where I think I will never understand her completely. Nor she me. That's the beauty of health and marriage. Is seeking after the reality of the adventure of knowing the person that, that God has placed you with. And even more, ten times over, a million times over, is that not the case of an incomprehensible and eternal God? That we would, though we know we will never know him fully, have a hunger and thirst to know him more. This is my hope for us, not only today, but as we head into May, as we build off Romans 11.33 in this series of discovering the one who is certain in our uncertainty. I'll leave you with this thought from A.W. Tozer. You'll hear this again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say it again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So as we answer the question, who is God? That becomes the very core, the very most important place of who we are. May it be that today, our thoughts, may it be that today, our worship, be focused on a God who is beautifully beyond our comprehension, who is beautifully beyond our being able to trace him and understand him, who is beautifully eternal, and that because of this, we would know that all things, all things, all things, including our deepest uncertainty, are well within his firm hands. May it be. Let's pray. Oh God, that you would break our hearts today in ways that would cause us to seek after you. Man, allow our uncertainties to rise, even in our hearts. Not to be afraid of them and suppress them, but allow them to rise so that we might run to you today as one who is certain, even in those uncertainties. That we would depend on you. Depend on you because you are incomprehensible. You're that big. Depend on you because you're eternal. There's been no beginning or no end. And so we run to you. I, I pray that for the Christian. I pray that maybe today for someone who's listening that is on the fence, who has walked in unbelief. But today, God, you've revealed to them that indeed they are special to you, that though you've hated their sin, that you have loved them enough to send Jesus to die for their sin, that they might be heirs with Christ and live life in your spirit, that they would be more than conquerors as your child. May we all recognize it. May we all know it. May we hunger more for it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask you to sing along a great song of the faith, a song of worship, 
as we indeed worship a good, good God as a good, good Father. Let's worship him this day.